Yep. Yep, 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 yep. Congratulations. This is the latest I've ever started a message. Congratulations, guys. It is 8.45, and we are beginning. We are beginning with the message. So um, if you guys are tired and you're like, it's already after 9 o'clock, your fault, not my fault. You guys picked the half-hour temptation teams, which were... What? You know what, little Missy? Okay. It's okay. Because um, temptation teams are always good. I've never been in a... No, I've been in bad temptation teams. I'll take that back. I wasn't in a bad temptation team tonight. Is that good enough? All right. Tonight we start a uh, a three-part series. Yeah. Huh? Woo! Three-part series entitled Failure to Thrive. Failure to Thrive. Indeed. Failure to Thrive is a term that's predominantly used in the pediatric field. And what it is, it's a description given to children, predominantly babies, okay, that are growing at a slower than normal rate. They're not up to par with what normal growth rate would be. Here's a fact for you guys. The average baby will almost double in size in the first four months after it's born. Almost double in size. And actually, it will triple in size within the first year. It's fast growth. Very, very fast growth for one year. And the growth is closely monitored the entire time because it's such a vital time. There's a ton of growth that's happening very fast. And we want to make sure that it's actually happening so it's monitored. Um, Failure to thrive isn't really a, what would you say? It's not like that's the problem. Failure to thrive isn't the problem. Failure to thrive is the result of the problems. It can be caused by something like organ damage, poor nutrition. Um, believe it or not, it can even be caused by emotional problems in a baby. You think that you're the ones with emotional problems. Little babies can have emotional problems and have problems with their eating habits. Very interesting. Kids can become, they said that literally a lack of stimulus in a child no stimulus can make them withdrawn from food where they don't eat. They just don't want to eat. And they'll suffer from failure to thrive. Very interesting. Whatever the, the case, if they're not growing at the correct rate, they'll be diagnosed with FTT, failure to thrive, because of this critical time. But I believe that there's another critical time in life in which growth should be monitored closely because it's so important. Of course, the time that I'm speaking of is our age, college age. There's tons, tons of growth going on. Very big changes are happening in our lives. And a lot of growth is taking place. Unfortunately, there are some college students, probably some in here, who in all reality are failing to thrive. They're failing to thrive. The definition of thrive, to make it better for you guys, maybe you're not a super uh, large vocabulary, it's okay. Definition of thrive just basically means to grow vigorously. Not just to grow, but vigorously. That means like really, really fast. Yes. But it doesn't just apply to physical growth. 
This can be mental. It can be social. It can be spiritual. There are many people, like I said, and possibly us, who have stalled out in their growth, and they're no longer moving forward. At the beginning of this year, I read a, um, a verse to you, and it's out of 1 Corinthians, the very first message that I spoke to you. I read this this year, and it's, uh, it's Paul talking, and he says this in, in 1 Corinthians 13, 11. Excuse me, I'm kind of stuffed up tonight. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. We mentioned this at the beginning of the year because our vision word for 2009 was maturity. And the stalling of growth stands against what we wish to accomplish in the realm of maturity. In both situations, whether you're a baby or whether you're you tonight sitting here, not growing can be detrimental to your current health and also to your future health. One of the first things, if a baby is suffering from FTT, the failure to thrive, you know what the first thing is they do with them? Is they bring them in and they put them on a high-calorie diet. A high-calorie diet. Well, in all reality, a lot of us probably don't need a high-calorie diet right now, do we? Right? Find the way I am. Some of us say, I can drop a few pounds. I need a low-calorie diet, not a high-calorie diet at this time. Um, but we could use a high-calorie diet perhaps in our social realm, in our spiritual realm. And that's what I want these next three weeks to be is I want to put you on a high-calorie learning curve. A high-calorie learning curve that hopefully will produce results. I have to warn you, though. It might hit some nerves. It might hit something that's a little tender in your life. It might hit something you say, Ooh, I think that's me. I didn't write it to try to engage anybody in the audience and don't think that I'm writing it for you guys. I wrote what I felt the Lord was leading me to write. And if it hits you, well, then that's the Lord. That's not me trying to get you, okay? Well, let's begin here tonight with something that's very important. Are you here for God tonight? That was really lame. Are you here for God tonight? Do you want to learn? And are you willing to change? Okay, very good, then let's begin. When I was just a boy, I began coming to this church, and uh, very young. And on Sunday mornings, I had a Sunday school teacher. His name was Mark Griffith. Griffin. Griffin. Excuse me. (laughs) Not Andy Griffith, Mark Griffith. Very, very cool guy. And believe it or not, I sat in Sunday school right where Russell is sitting at. This room used to be actually, actually a little bit farther back than Russell, excuse me, right where Zach is sitting at. Okay, this room used to stop right about here. This was a division of it. And then there was another room, and then there was another room behind that. There were three rooms in this area. There was a hallway that ran right down here. And I used to sit in this middle Sunday room, Sunday school room, and Mark Griffin taught us Sunday mornings. Well, inevitably, every single Sunday morning, we would get off topic, start talking, start messing around. And Mark would stop us, and he would call us back by saying this, Kids! There is a time and place for everything. This is the time to be quiet and the time to learn. But it worked. It got us back on topic. He'd get our attention. He'd say it with a very commanding voice, and he'd pull us back. But it wasn't until much, much later in my relationship with God that I actually grasped what he was saying when I read the Bible for myself. So I want you guys to take out your Bibles, if you have them, 
and turn to Ecclesiastes. Probably not many of you have read Ecclesiastes that much, right? Ecclesiastes comes after Proverbs, which Proverbs comes after Psalms. So Psalms is right about in the middle. Open to Psalms, flip over to Proverbs, flip over to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon, most likely. At the end of his days, when he was young, he wrote the, so- he wrote the Song of Songs, Song of Solomon. Hmm? Very aggressive lover, right? You know, a young guy. As he got older, medium age, he wrote Psalms, very good uh, section of them. And when he got old, he wrote Ecclesiastes. And you start to see some of his regret and remorse in this. But in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, this is going to be our text for the whole night tonight. <clears throat> it says this, There is a time for everything, and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Very cool, man, very cool section of writing. It really caught my attention. When I read it, I remember back to Mark saying, there's a time and place for everything. There's a time and place for everything. I remember this verse. What I didn't realize at the time and what I realized then was that there wasn't anything wrong with talking loud. There wasn't anything wrong with having fun, with having a good time, with being loud, you know, yelling and screaming with your friends. What Mark was in, I mean, trying to instill in us was the fact that those things are fine, but there's situations, there's places, there's companies of people in which right now that isn't appropriate. It's not the time for it. And we realize that really in life there are places and times, situations, companies of people that some things are going to be fine. We can do them. And then in a different group of people, in a different situation, those very same actions, words, and attitudes are no longer appropriate. They don't fit anymore. Being, um, being able to understand the people around us, the situation, the geography of our surroundings, and then basing our action off of it is a huge part about maturity, about being mature. One of the major things that we must learn in order to thrive in this time of growing is how to be appropriate. How to be appropriate with what's around us. Becoming mature, we should realize that there is a time and place for everything in our life. I just want to go through a few different areas of our life so we can talk about this. Very, very applicable. Very much in our nowadays and, you know, the long off in the spiritual realm as well. But first of all, what about appropriate actions? Appropriate actions in our life. All of our actions have a place in which they will fit, in which they'll be beneficial, accepted, but not every situation is fitting for all of our actions now, is it? There's certain things we can get away with with a certain crowd that we can't with another group of guys hanging out together. Someone will take, totally just pass gas, just belt it out as loud as they possibly can, 
and then laugh about it. So I just rip a huge fart and then be like, do you guys hear that? Totally appropriate in that setting. The guys laugh. The other company, you know, some guys might be like, dude, it's wrong. But not probably because it's like you farted, but it's just because like, I don't want to smell that right now. It's not because it was inappropriate. It's just I don't want to smell that. A lot of guys, you're going to laugh. I've, I've had times before. I had a friend one time. We were at, we were at Walmart, right? And we took, and there was, like a, there was like a rabbit, and I like walked by and I like kicked it. And he's like, did you hear that? I'm like, what? And he walks up, puts his foot on it, and rips a huge fart as he steps on it like it was making noise. He's like, and he's like, did you hear that? I just about peed my pants. I laughed so hard. It was hilarious in the moment, right? Totally appropriate. Just friends hanging out together, guys. However, there are companies in which that is not a funny joke. There are companies in which you don't just walk up to like a group of really pretty girls and totally just lift your leg, tear a huge fart, and then be like, did you guys hear that? That's not cool, okay? That's not appropriate in the situation, now is it? Perhaps hanging out with a bunch of like senior citizens, that might not be, actually, it might be pretty funny. They pass gas all the time, they understand. But <clears throat> there's an appropriate surrounding, isn't there? We need to be appropriate in the surroundings that we find ourselves. First Corinthians, um, First Corinthians nine, actually, um, to kind of go back there. And uh, verses nineteen through twenty-three, I want to read to you real quick. This is Paul talking again. First Corinthians nine nineteen, he says this: Though I am free, and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, though as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save them. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share it in its blessings. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying the fact that in different companies he became a different man, didn't he? In one company he acted in a certain venue. Why? Because he fit in so he could preach the gospel. In another situation, he didn't carry those same attributes over, did he? When he went to someone who had the law, he stayed inside of those laws. Because there was no point in creating a divide in which he could no longer talk into their life. In each situation, he knew what was appropriate. And he followed it, knowing that there's a time and place for all of these, all of these actions. Nowadays, parallel is the exact same. There's places that we go in our life in which we'd have to kind of curtail what we do, isn't there? Some places this is appropriate, and other it's not. A way we talk, a way we even dress. Sometimes the way that we just, we just present ourselves, right? Different circumstances in life call us to operate in a slightly different way. And I want, I want to put this to you, though. It isn't that you can't be yourself. Because this is the reality. You're made up of character, not demonstration. Okay? Who you are is made up of character, not demonstration. You're not, not being true to yourself just because you're not acting out all of who you are around a person. Because of it not being appropriate and holding some of you back, isn't not being yourself. Your character resides the same. Who you are isn't based on your demonstration. 
Okay? We see this. If you flip back, keep that, keep your finger on Ecclesiastes because I'm constantly referring back to that throughout the night. It says this in verses 5 and in verses 7, 2 to pluck out of that. It says a time to embrace and a time to refrain. Very applicable today, isn't it? There's times you can throw your arms around to people, and there's sometimes where that's not really appropriate. This is a time to be silent and a time to speak. That's a good one, isn't it? Will Rogers, he said this, never miss a good chance to shut up. I like that. Never miss a good chance. Just to shut up. You have to use your head in this, okay? There's a part in the Bible in Acts, and a bunch of the church sends these people who are wise in, in their different areas of the church, and they come together. And the reason why they came together was to be able to decide what would the Jews have to follow Excuse me. What would the Gentiles have to follow of the Jews' law to become a Christian? So they sent a bunch of guys. They came together and they sat down and they decided what must we say that a Gentile must follow to still be a Christian of our Jewish law. What's cool is it says this. It doesn't say that God spoke to them in a bolt of lightning. He didn't burn some sort of Ten Commandments for them. It says we did what seemed right by the Spirit and what seemed right for us. What it's saying is this: is that they use their brains. God has given us amazingly powerful brains. He's given us wisdom, okay, inside of us. And using that wisdom to navigate these waters is what God has for us. A lot of these situations, we don't have to ask God for some sort of special infilling direction. We're smart enough to know and we can determine what's right, what's not in this situation. What's appropriate? Use your head. You have a brain for a reason, okay? Smart enough not to hinder what he wants to do in your life. If you're going to go to a job interview, okay, let's be smart. Let's have a brain, okay? If you show up unshaved, late, with cut-off jean shorts and a Tasmanian Devil t-shirt, <laughs> you might not get the job, huh? Yeah, exactly. No, and you know what? That, that's the deal. We have brains. We realize the fact that, you know what, my guess is, is that this corporate guy, you know, who's like deciding on people, he's really not going to be impressed by my tan lines on my legs or the fact that I still wear Looney Tunes t-shirts. We can be smart enough to understand that and say, I can, I can take care of that, right? Easily. We're smart enough. If you say to yourself, though, you know what, I really don't know what's appropriate. I just don't know. And that's the problem is I don't know what's appropriate and what is not? Thank you for going off that. Well, it's really simple. God's plan throughout our life as Christians. Ask somebody who's more wise than you are. Don't be prideful. Because that's what, that's what we'd like to do, is just stay prideful and just say, listen, I don't know. Well, if you don't know, God made this awesome thing that is Christianity, and it's a partnership between all Christians. If you say, I don't know what's appropriate, and a lot of times I feel like I'm being inappropriate, Go talk to somebody who you trust and say, do you think this is appropriate or not? And you share together. Go to someone who's more wise than you are. Don't go to the same company who's just going to be like, oh, dude, it's cool. Totally fine. But go to somebody who's more wise and let them speak into your life and actually accept that. The other thing, though, is just learn. Learn what is and what is not appropriate. Everyone's entitled to make mistakes, but they aren't entitled to make them repeatedly. Everyone's entitled to be inappropriate every so often. 
Okay? But it's learning from that and then not continuing in it. Consistently being inappropriate, that's not right. You deserve to be told about it. But I want to give you a few tips to even be even more just nitty-gritty, like right in your face. What's the application, right? So here's a good one, a few good ones for you. Never, ever be the loudest person in a room. Never be the loudest person in a room. Doesn't play out well. Doesn't play out well. Never interrupt someone else's conversation. You might get the instant connection with the person you want, but all it does is just create problems. Always check your breath and BO before you go out. Man, it sounds so simple. It sounds so simple. But seriously, dude, just right here, I should brush my teeth and get some mints. Another layer of deodorant. You know what I'm saying? Check, because it puts people off. Seriously, just double check. Lastly, though, here's a good one for you. Look at people around you and identify the things that others do that annoy you and stop doing them yourself. Stop doing them yourself, because most likely the things that annoy you, you still do to other people. So identify what people are doing. You say, I hate when people do that. Well, then stop doing it yourself, because you do the same thing. Other people hate it too. Moving on, though. Not just our actions, but another thing that we have to learn to be appropriate in is our emotions. Our emotions. Ooh, that's a hard one, isn't it? We experience a wide variety of emotions as humans, don't we? Man, a wide variety. If emotions were colors, we experience a whole array. I'd like to say the fact, though, that guys experience, like, the tertiary and, the, like, the primary colors. They experience, like, anger, happiness, sadness, yellow, blue, red. Girls experience, like, red, blue, purple, fuchsia, magenta, seafoam green, um, light orange, dark orange, burnt orange. They... Every single one in between, and I don't mean to at all rip on you girls because it's a blessing from God. Our emotions are a blessing from God. But girls especially, man, I've seen girls who have been happy sad. How can you put those two together? How can you be happy sad? And yet, a girl can be happy sad. It's true. I've seen it in my own life. But it's this combinations, And man, our emotions are very powerful, aren't they? And like I said, it is a gift from God. Emotions should not be looked down at. And really, especially girls, um, don't let someone tell you that you're stupid for your emotions because your emotionalness, okay, your emotions are an expression of who God is. When God doled out his characteristics between men and women, they balance each other out. And guys are very, very logical, which God is a very logical God. And women, you guys are a lot more emotional, but God is still a very emotional God as well. And you exhibit a characteristic of God in that emotion. But in all reality, like I said, not every emotion is appropriate for every situation, is it? Not every one of our emotions is appropriate for every situation. In all reality, if I'm at a funeral, it's not appropriate for me to just start laughing out loud, is it? That's pretty mean. I've never been at one where I just, you know, actually I have been at a funeral where I found something funny, but you stop, don't you? You're like, if I laugh out loud right now, I'm going to go to hell. They're talking about somebody who died, right? It's not appropriate in that situation. 
first and foremost, talking about emotions, because this is a really, this is a difficult one, because it's all about how we feel. But first and foremost, your emotions don't have to be shared with everyone. Your emotions do not have to be shared with everyone. And I want to give you an example from the most amazing person in the world, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ on this. And it's in Mark 14. You guys, you guys need to like identify this and keep track of it because so many of us can't do this. It's the story of the Garden of Gethsemane. And check this out, okay? Starting in verse 32 of Mark 14, it says, They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, listen to this, okay? Sit here while I pray. Then he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He says to Peter, James, and John, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, Stay here and keep watch. Then going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. There's a beautiful picture involved in this, in this story. Jesus spent two and a half, somewhere between two and three years, with 12 men. He knew very close and spent a lot of fun time teaching them. And yet when it came to sharing his true emotions, he didn't share it with all 12. He told the, the majority of them, stay here while I go farther. And he took his three closest friends and he shared his true heart, his breaking heart, didn't he? There's a picture of that. Our emotions don't have to be known by everyone. Our emotions are to be known by those closest to us. The 12 men were close to him, but these three were ones that he really, really was close to. We should not project our emotions for everyone to react to. It's not appropriate. But it isn't neglecting those feelings, because that's not the answer. What it is that's releasing them in a circle of friends that's appropriate. Releasing those emotions in a circle of friends who you trust, who know you, and where it's appropriate to say what you actually are feeling, to say where you're actually at. A good rule of thumb for this is do not give people more than they ask for. Okay? When someone says, hey, how you doing? Don't tell them, <laughs> I'm horrible. My life sucks. I wish I could die tomorrow. When people said, how you doing? They didn't mean it. They were just saying, hey. Hey, how you doing? You know what? I'm not doing great, but, you know, I'm okay. Now if they stop and say, so what's going on? Well, see, now they want more, don't they? They want to be part of that. No, it's okay. And you know what? What I think would be great for us to understand is, is not giving people more than, than they ask from us, is asking if we want to share more. You know what? I'm, I'm okay. But if it's someone who you want to share with, it's, it's taking the time. And this is kind of the hard thing. It's not projecting your emotions to everyone, but making sure that you still give them to some people and saying, you know what? Actually, I could really use to talk. Could I share how I'm actually feeling with you? So you're not giving people more than they want. You're giving them the right to say, you know what, dude? I don't know if I'm really there with you. Let me back up. But give them that asking permission to go forward. So don't give people more than they ask for. Those close friends, man, share into them. But some people, when they just say, how you doing? They just mean, what's up? You say, not too much. In all reality, we need to master our emotions instead of letting our emotions master us. That's really hard. Really hard. 
And in some situations in life, as we gain maturity, man, as we begin to thrive, right, we start to grow rapidly, we'll realize the fact that the emotions that we're feeling cannot be expressed at this moment, at this juncture. This is really, really common in leaders. As you become a leader, which all of us are leaders in some venue, but as you, as you become more and more of a leader, more and more people are following you and depending on you, very, very often you'll find that <clears throat> the emotion that needs to be part of something isn't exactly what you're feeling at the time. Man, there are times when leaders, man, they're hurting. They totally don't feel happy. They're sad. They're depressed. But you know what? God's doing something bigger than what my emotions are right now. And when I come into this place, just like, like me as a leader, if I have a horrible day, okay, if I had a horrible day today, and I come in and I let that drag through all of this, I could ruin this entire moment that's supposed to be learning, couldn't I? There's something bigger that's going on that requires me to take and lay aside my emotions for the moment. You know what we see a perfect example of this in? Jesus Christ in the same story. Right before the story of going to, this, to Gethsemane, he shares a meal with his disciples. Right after he goes to trial. We don't see Jesus Christ's broken heart and emotions on either side of this situation, which is really interesting. In his meal with his, with his disciples, there was a reason why he was there. There was stuff that had to be done, and that's what Jesus' focus was. He goes to Gethsemane, and we see that his heart is breaking. And then in the very next instant, he's arrested and he's taken off. And we see the fact that he goes through something that has to be done. And we really don't see that same picture again, do we? In all reality, the fact that there are things that are happening that are bigger than our emotions. And we have to sometimes be able to rein those in and be master over them. Once again, like I was saying about our actions, this isn't about being fake. It's not about being fake. But it's about being appropriate in the situation. You're not telling people that this is how I feel deep down inside. You're not saying this is exactly how I feel and I'm smiling because this is who I am inside. But it's realizing the fact that in this situation, it's not appropriate for me to come in and drag everyone else down with my emotions. I can find my group of friends and I can pull down we can share. And I can tell you how I really feel. But it's not appropriate for me to throw this on everyone else. In other situations in our life, we'll find the fact that it's completely devoid of emotion. good example of this is your job. Listen, people hire you, and they don't care if you're happy, sad, angry, mad. It doesn't matter. Okay? Don't care what you're feeling. I hired you for a job. You agreed to do this job for this amount of money, for this amount of time. I don't care how you feel. Your emotions have nothing to do with your job in this situation. That's what your boss feels. And there are situations in all reality that as we grow up and we become mature, we realize the fact that, you know what, there are situations in our life that we have to realize are devoid of emotion, and I need to enter them in that way sometimes. To push through and say, you know what, I'm not feeling it, but I did say I'd do this job, and I'm going to do it, and it really doesn't matter about my emotions right now, does it? It doesn't matter about the fact that I'm sad or that I'm happy or I'm angry. This is what i got to do. That's becoming mature. That's coming to a place where we actually have control over our emotions instead of the opposite way around. One thing, though, that I wanted to share with you that really, really bugs me, and I think we all need to realize this. We need to stop letting what's momentary 
ruin what could be memorable. Stop letting what's momentary ruin what could be memorable. A situation like Steadfast or any other time of, uh, it's, it's a special time like right in your day, right? Um, learning can take place here. Man, friendship can be built. All these different things. You have to stop letting momentary anger, sadness, disgust, the stuff that you're feeling today, you have to stop letting it destroying something that's very, very important in your life and can become memorable. Because in all reality, for the most of us, every day has emotions that we, you know, if we carried them throughout, we would destroy all these memorable moments in our life. There's sometimes where you know what you're not happy and you're not you're not excited in life and you are sad, but you know this is a special time, say like steadfast, where you come in and you get to learn about the Word of God, and I can put my emotions to the side and say you know I know that I still want to learn about the Word of God and even though I'm not feeling the best, this is important. This is one I want to be part of. Verse four, in this whole line of different things, it says this: There's a time to weep. And there's a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn, and there's a time to dance. There's both sides of this equation here. And sometimes we have to be both. And you know what? Sometimes we have to do the opposite when we're feeling the other one. Sometimes we have to laugh when we're weeping. And sometimes we even have to dance when we're mourning. Because it's inappropriate. Some tips I want to give you. Never hold people hostage with your emotions. They'll kill themselves to get away, and they'll hate you, <laughs> okay? If you hold them hostage, they'll pull the trigger, <laughs> okay? Put me on my misery. Do not try to hold people hostage with your emotions. On the flip side of this, always, always, always share your emotions with those who are your close circle, those people that Peter, James, and John. Consistently share your emotions with those people those people who you trust. And last, realize that some things are more important than what you feel right now. And that's harsh, kind of, isn't it? Some things in life are more important than what you feel at this moment. Some things are just true. Some, th some things are just necessary. And sometimes it, just, it really doesn't matter what our emotion and situation is because this needs to happen. And it's bigger than what we're feeling at the very moment. To wrap this up, I want to talk about this appropriate faith. Appropriate faith. You'd think, appropriate faith? That sounds interesting, doesn't it? But yes, there is even appropriate faith. Um, to start with that, though, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. Don't get a turn there. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. Just want to read to you. It says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What I want to just say out of this is that there isn't a time for being with God and a time for not being with God. That's not in the list. There isn't a time to love God and a time not to love God. That's not on the list. And when I say appropriate faith, it doesn't mean there's a time for faith and a time not for faith. That's not the case. In all reality, we're to be constantly in communication and relationship with him. But, but, there is appropriate faith in this. We need to learn what God has done and understand his character to know what he is doing in order to be appropriate. There's a good example of this in Luke. 
If you guys want to turn there, it's Luke 9. Yes, Luke 9, 51 through 56, talking about the Samaritan opposition. Here's a cool story. It says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, this is Jesus, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into Samaritan villages to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples heard James and John, when the disciples, excuse me, I jumped there. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went into another village. So this whole situation happens in which they're saying, Jesus is going to come, and everyone just turns their back on it. So these three guys who are close to Jesus say, well, God, should we just call down lightning and just blow these people up then? They're unfaithful, right? But it wasn't appropriate, was it? Jesus rebuked them and said, no, we'll just move on to another city. Now, what's interesting about this is that in the Old Testament, okay, there was a circumstance in which God's prophet called down fire and burnt people to a crisp. Three? Two, three times? In a row. Check it. It was uh, Elijah or Elisha. One of the twos. But anyway, he burned these dudes to a crisp. In fact, he burned them all to a crisp. They sent another wave. They burned them all to the crisp. The last dude who come literally comes up and begs. He's like, please, please don't send lightning and fire from heaven to kill me. Just want to talk to you for a second. This was appropriate by one of God's own in the Old Testament. But you know what? In this circumstance, it wasn't what God was doing, was it? And it was by asking and coming close to Jesus Christ, they realized this wasn't the direction for what they should be doing in their faith. In all reality, this coming close to Jesus Christ, what that is, is that is spending time in prayer. Spending time connecting with God. Spending time reading God's word to give you the backstory, to understand. If you want to understand a character in a story, you got to know their past, right? Read about God's past and you'll understand his character now a lot better. That's the application of that, understanding. Because there are things that are appropriate sometimes, and inappropriate another. On top of that, with our faith, there are special times in our life, in our faith, that are given to us. Such as worship times, communion, even steadfast messages. Hey, right? Special times. And we should be able to identify these special times with God and be able to react appropriately by offering ourselves to them. By knowing God and realizing that these are special times that you're giving me, God. Understanding that, and then reacting appropriately to that. What I mean is, I mean is making a priority. And making a priority to be in a special time for God. Making a, a, a solid decision, the fact that I'm going to use this time for you. I'm going to use this time to give to you. I want to I want to challenge you in this and just I mean as we're worshiping tonight again it just comes back to my heart okay when it comes to worship the only thing inappropriate is something unbiblical okay so if you have any basic knowledge of the bible unless you're like taking and worshiping goats or like burning animals to god during worship okay it's all good in fact I want to encourage you in this and say that when it comes to worship Become inappropriate. Become inappropriate. 
Because in all reality, the fact that when worship time comes, all it is is about you and God. And the people around you don't matter anymore. It's just about you connecting with Him. And share with God however you need to. However you need to. Do you understand the fact that, like that song said, He saved our souls. He's worth, man, every bit of our voice, every bit of our movement, every bit of our action. More than anything else, to become mature in our relationship with God, to have mature faith, appropriate faith, is just the understanding by reading this verse that there are different times in our faith. There are different times in our faith. It says this in Ecclesiastes. There's a time of plant and a time to uproot. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to tear and a time to mend. But you can apply these very physically, but in all reality, these are very spiritual meanings, aren't they? If you think about them. They have to do with our relationship with God. And we have to realize the fact that there are different times in our relationship with God. And when maturity comes, when we begin to thrive and really grow, we realize the fact that God is the same on both sides of these equations. In a time of tearing and a time of mending, in a time of searching and a time of stop, in a time of you know building up or tearing down, God is still the same on both sides. God is still the same. Some tips for you. Always give your all to God. Always give it all. Don't leave anything left over. Never worry about people around you during worship and special times. Use it for God. And learn who God is and apply it. Apply it to your life. Something from basic as, as salvation. Learning the fact that we're sinners and we failed. God sent his son to die on the cross and pay for us. He paid the debt that we had. And that now that a belief in him can lead us to eternal life. Apply that to your life and ask for salvation. All these different things. Apply that. Ask. In conclusion, whether as a baby or right now in our lives, I believe that we're in an important growth time, an important and active growth time, a time that thrival is necessary. Yeah, I like that word, thrival, right? I don't even know if that's a real word, but it is nice. And for the next two nights, right? The next two, meet, next two uh, messages I do. We have to identify the things that are going to keep us from growing. And these are just a few that might really hit deep inside of you tonight. What I want you to do, though, is this. Is, uh, this is a high-calorie This is a high calorie message, okay? Lots in it. A lot of different things. Some of the things I said were offensive. Some of the things might have been hurtful. Some of the things struck a chord in your heart. High-calorie. Don't regurgitate it on my shirt, okay? Don't regurgitate it on my shirt. Don't take and puke it all back up on me and walk out of here and don't do anything about it. Keep it in your stomach. Digest it and grow from it. I don't want you to fail to thrive. I don't. I don't. But remember this. There's a time and a place for everything. That's the key. You can learn one thing tonight. There's an appropriateness. A time and place for everything. Don't fail to thrive.
Let's pray. Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for a long night, God. Thank you for a long night um, in which we ran late, but time doesn't really matter, does it? It's about what we, what we learned and what we, what we encountered tonight. I thank you for every piece of it, Lord God. And I pray to you that, uh, Lord, this high-calorie message, Lord, um, would just digest inside of us. I pray to you, Lord, that we would just grasp, as we want to move to maturity, Lord God, not to benefit us, but to benefit you, God, um, that we would understand that there's a time and place for everything, that there's an appropriateness. And I pray to you, God, that you would just help build that within us. I pray to you that we would just make you proud. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. One word, one word, one voice.